I'm going to start in John chapter 14 this evening. In verse 12, Jesus, on the last night that he was with his disciples, told them a lot of things uh, according to John's gospel. John is an eyewitness and a a participant of um, the meeting that Jesus had with him, being the Last Supper and all. He gave us some insights. He filled in the blanks for us for what some of the other gospel writers didn't tell us about that night. And it tells us, beginning in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask, this word ask is to call for or require, means to place a demand on something. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now I want you to turn with me to, um, well, I'm going to go through a, a, a number of scriptures. I've got them on my electronic Bible, and you may not be able to turn as quickly in your Bible if you still use the book. But um, let me go through some scriptures that the Bible says, talks about it, the works of Jesus and different things that he did. You know, I think a lot of times we just assume when the Bible speaks of the works of Jesus, it's talking about healings and miracles and so forth. And thank God that's part of it. But there were a lot of other things that Jesus did that the Bible gives us record of that don't really fall into that spectacular category. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases, and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Notice the three things that it mentions here in the 23rd verse. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and disease. Now in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In other words, Jesus is saying pray so that God will raise up people to do the same works I'm doing. And again, it's identical with what Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 speaks of, Jesus went throughout all their synagogues teaching, or went out through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every manner of sickness and disease among the people. Let me turn to another one real quickly here. Matthew chapter 20, uh, what's next? Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him, As he was teaching, notice he's teaching in the temple. As he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? That's when Jesus asked them a question. He says, I'll answer you if you'll answer me. The baptism of John, was it of God or was it of man? And the the, uh, religious leaders wouldn't answer the question. Not because they didn't think they knew the answer, but that the answer, either way they answered, would get them in trouble with the people either denying that John was the prophet 
or not being willing to do what the prophet had spoken to them. Let's look at another one in Matthew chapter 26, I believe it is. Verse 55. This is Jesus being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and then goes before Caiaphas and the high priest. Or the rest of the council, I should say. Notice in verse 55, Jesus, in the same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out against me as a thief with swords and with staves or spears? For to take me, I sat daily with you teaching in the, in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. Notice what Jesus says when the Roman soldiers are coming to get him and, and delivering him to the, well, it's, actually it was the high priest guard. They were Roman soldiers, but they were commissioned or assigned to the high priest. When they come out to get Jesus, Jesus says something that's very interesting. He said, I've been in the temple every day teaching. You didn't come get me then. Folks, I want you to understand something. The Bible speaks more about Jesus' teaching ministry than it does any other thing. Let's keep going. Look with me to Mark chapter 6. You'll be familiar with this one, I'm sure. This is where Jesus goes to his own hometown of Nazareth. And it says, beginning in verse 5, and he could there in his own hometown, and he could there do no mighty work, save or accept, that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went about their villages teaching. Here's Jesus' teaching ministry again. Look with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 5. Verse 17, it says, And it came to pass on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, this is where the guy that's carried by his friends, his four friends, take off the tiling of the roof and let him down in the middle of it where Jesus is because they can't get in for the crowd. But notice that Jesus was teaching and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Let's look at another one. Luke chapter 13. Beginning in verse 10, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This was a regular thing for Jesus, folks. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Then it tells us about how the religious leaders were upset because he had done that on the Sabbath day. And he deals with them very directly. But I want you to notice that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That must be a regular thing for him. Again, it identifies that the power of God was available to heal her. Skip down with me to verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 22, chapter 13, verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Again, he's doing his daily stuff. He's teaching every day in some place, in some manner. Now, when we talk about the works of Jesus, the Bible identifies them very simply for us, teaching, preaching, and healing. And remember, Jesus said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And then he commissions us to put a demand on his name. 
Whatsoever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, I think it's a natural instinct for us to just think about the spectacular events, the healings that the, the Bible identifies. But if we just do that, we won't realize how Jesus came to the place where the healing power was so prevalent. Mark chapter 6 is a good example when he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. If you combine Mark 6 and Luke chapter 4, which are both talking about the same thing, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit from being in the wilderness where the devil had tempted him after 40 days of going without food. He returns in the power of the Spirit, and he does a lot of great things, particularly in Capernaum in the regions, the little towns and villages about Capernaum. Then he gets to his own hometown of Nazareth, and he preaches. He turns into the Old Testament the scrolls and whatever the rabbis had, parchments and such. And he finds the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, recovering of sight to the blind, and so forth. Jesus preaches in his own town, in the synagogue in his own hometown where he grew up as a boy. He preaches specifically that he's anointed. He's telling them the power of God is here. The power of God is available. The power of God is upon me to do the same kind of healings and miracles that you've heard in Capernaum. Now, we know that's the case. We know that they've heard of them because when they refused to accept him, refused to uh, accept that he was claiming the power from the scriptures that speak about the Messiah. When he starts talking about those or when they reject him, he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking we've heard that great miracles were done in Capernaum, do them here too. But again, Mark 6, 5 says he couldn't. It does not say he wouldn't. The fact that Jesus preached that he was anointed of the Holy Ghost, not only, but including to heal the sick. When he identifies that, we know what God's will is. It's the will of God for the sick to be healed in, in Nazareth. Just like the sick were healed in Capernaum. He says that they've heard of the things that he's done in Capernaum, so he must know. So we have to conclude that they've heard about what he did in Capernaum, but they don't get the same results as he got in Capernaum. The people don't receive the same, and Jesus doesn't have the same healings and miracles and results. And he marvels because of their unbelief and does the one thing that counters unbelief. He taught. He went about the villages teaching. He's trying to get people to believe. God's not trying to leave anybody sick in Nazareth. In fact, it's just the opposite. God's going out of his way to get people full of faith or willing to receive him in some way or another so that the power of God can do the work. Now, I want you to turn with me over to another scripture, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. I'm going to pull a verse out of context. Paul is reasserting his uh, apostleship because the people of, in, in the church at Corinth are being pulled away in all different directions by wrong teachings and people that are claiming they're something they're not with God and all that kind of stuff. So he rehashes some of the things that he's experienced, some of the ways that he suffered for the sake of the gospel just to get them the truth that they've heard of him already. But then he says something in chapter 12, verse 12, that... Um, well, I hate to say it. I don't like saying it this way. You wouldn't expect him to say what he says. But I just don't know a better way to say it than that. If 
I come up with one, then I'll, I'll change it. But notice in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, Truly, or surely, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about the office of the apostles, the, the, the office of the apostle that he stands in. And he's talking about himself and about his uh, history with the Corinthian church. And notice what he says. He says, true, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you with all patience. In signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, we know some things about Paul's ministry because of the book of Acts. We know that in chapter 14, he goes down to Lystra. And there's a crippled man. And Paul preaches the gospel. And the crippled man heard Paul speak. And Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. And so Paul says with a loud voice, stand her up, upright on your feet. And he, and he leaps and walks. Well, he didn't have to be too patient for that, did he? Instant results, spectacular results like that don't really fit into the patience part, does it? We know of other examples where the guy, for example, fell out of the young uh, uh, teenage boy or adolescent, whatever he was, that fell out of the third story window and died in Paul's, method, in Paul's meeting. Paul was going too long and the kid fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. Well, Paul raises the guy from the dead. Not too much patience required for that, is there? Here's another spectacular occurrence. Why would Paul talk about patience? The signs of an apostle being wrought in all patience to the Corinthians. Well, folks, I don't claim to have all the answers on this, but there's a couple of things I think we can agree on for sure. Number one... The fact that he identifies with all patience means that it wasn't as, uh, always a spectacular event after a spectacular event after a spectacular event. Even though there were times where the Holy Ghost did something spectacular, as we've just mentioned, two things for an example. Thank God the Holy Ghost moves as the Spirit wills, but that's not how it always worked. The fact that Paul identifies that the signs of the apostle were done with all patience indicates to me with certainty that things didn't go as fast as he might have wanted them to. That's the only place you need patience. Is when you, what you know is true doesn't look like it's true. So it didn't happen as fast as he wanted, but maybe even more so, it's, a, it's an indication to us that he didn't let what looked to be the lack of results discourage him. Because that's what patience does, isn't it? Patience holds you steady when things around you don't look like they're right. Paul identifies one of the characteristics of the work that he did in the Corinthian church to be patience, which tells us that it wasn't just day after day after day of healings and miracles. Now, here's one of the reasons why I'm bringing that up. The Bible says that a good report makes fat the bones. In other words, a good report is health and healing to us. When I look back, we're in our 31st year of the church. Started in January of 86, so whatever that is, almost three and a half years, or a little over three and a half years, I guess. Not 31 and a half years, I'm trying to say. When I look back, we've had some tremendous healings and miracles done. Not many of them have happened in church. But we've had a lot of them that have happened with our people outside of church. 
We had one 18-month period where three people, this was in the 90s when the HIV virus was just being talked about and nobody really knew what it would do or what it wouldn't do and everybody was afraid to touch everybody and all this kind of stuff. In an 18-month period, we had three people that were healed of AIDS. None of them were spectacular events. We did lay hands on them. All three of those people had had the hands laid on them at one time or another. But it was just their simple faith in the word and holding fast to the truth that brought them to the place where the same doctors that said they had the HIV virus declared that it was gone. There was no trace of it whatsoever. Of those three people, one had contracted AIDS through drug use, sharing needles through drug use, and the other two were involved in homosexual lifestyle. And all three of them were healed in an 18-month period. Now, I'm not aware of anybody that's been healed of HIV virus or healed of AIDS in our church or through our church or through any kind of work of our church since that time. That's a lot, isn't it? It just seemed to be something that God was doing at the time. And to my knowledge, he hadn't used us in that way ever since. We had another situation with a lady that came to the church. She had to drive a pretty long way, so she wasn't always here, but she was doing what she could to hear the messages and keeping up and that kind of thing. But she developed cancer of her breast. She first had a lumpectomy. Then after that... She had a, uh, a double mastectomy, and they still didn't get it. And she had degenerated. Her body had degenerated to such a point where she had to wrap herself in like an ace bandage, a giant ace bandage around her chest just to be able to function. And this thing had eaten away at her flesh to such a point where it had a terrible, terrible odor. It was, you couldn't not notice. And over a period of time, it was a matter of a couple of months. She had been prayed for several times. I prayed for her several times. I made sure that I prayed in faith each time, not nullifying the the faith that we exercised the previous times. But she had been prayed for for several times. But one day, when it looked like it was just over, the doctors were just trying to uh, prepare her to die. One day, after having slept, she had to sleep in this bandage. After waking up in the morning and going into the bathroom to to, uh, replace the bandage, she unwound herself, and this thing fell out, and it had tentacles like an octopus. It fell out into the bandage, and by the time she looked up and saw herself in the mirror, she saw the flesh fill in where it had come off of. Same doctors told her she was totally healed, totally well. No trace, no symptoms, no sign. Now, that didn't happen in church. It didn't happen because somebody commanded something to sickness to go away or cancer to disappear or anything like that. It happened as a result of her faith in the word of God that she believed. We've had numerous situations where tumors have disappeared I just got a correspondence from a lady, a TV viewer. Well, let me qualify that. When we first went on TV, or first went on KTLA, Channel 5, we didn't know it, but Channel 5 is a super station, kind of like TBS. 
TBS is out of Atlanta, I think, but it goes um, throughout cable systems or satellite TV systems all over the place. Well, that's kind of the way that Channel 5 was when we first got on. We didn't know that. It, uh, it wasn't anything that we were aware of or pay, paying a premium for or anything like that. But we started getting mail from places like Texas. Saw your program. Wanted to say thus and such about it. And we'd say, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but you didn't see our program. Our program doesn't broadcast in Texas, but it did. We just didn't know. So we were getting mail from everywhere. Well, we went off Channel 5 because they changed the format of their Sunday morning lineup. And we went to Channel 9, which is where we are now. So she was one of these people that saw us from the superstation days. And so she became aware of the, um, the ministry and the website and so forth. So after we changed channels with the TV program, she couldn't get us anymore. So she was left to download stuff and watch things from the website. And we got a message from her or a correspondence from her just a couple of weeks ago. It came to me a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure exactly when it came into the office. But this lady said that God had gotten all over her because here she had taken the word that she'd heard preached from us, applied it to herself and her situation had been healed, a lump in her, uh, in her lung, I believe it was, that completely disappeared. The doctors didn't have any um, explanation for it or anything that they could say about it other than, well, we don't know what happened, but it's gone. And that had happened several months before and she had never told us. She said, God got all over about it, so now she's finally telling us. We've got two people in the church over the years, and again, this is over a period of 31 years. We've had two people in the church that were diagnosed bipolar. And over a period of time, mixing faith with the medication that the doctors gave them, they both came to the place and have been at that place for many years now. These, uh, it finally, or when it happened, it was many years ago, several years ago, maybe 10, if I remember correctly. But they got to the place where after mixing faith with their medicine, they didn't need the medicine anymore. Doctors can't explain that. They don't know why. It's not something you're supposed to get better at or they're supposed to get better in you. And it's not something that the medication is cumulative or has a cumulative effect or a saturation point. The medicine for that provides immediate results, but it's not something that once it gets in your system, then you don't need it anymore. And these were some of the excuses that people would give and some of the doctors even talked about. But that didn't hold water. I could stand here for hours and tell you about different situations and different examples of where people put the word to work and it worked for them. But I can't give you one example where we prayed for somebody or a cripple was healed and made to walk in the middle of a church service or anything like that. I can't give you one of those. That's just not a way that God has worked with us. I can't give you one example like Paul had in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra. Where the impotent man heard Paul speak. Paul uh, understood and recognized that he had faith to be healed. Gave him instructions to act on his faith. And he was immediately and instantly healed. I can't give you one of those. And I can give you some examples where the Holy Ghost manifested himself in gifts of healings where people got some instant results.
I guess the point I'm trying to make is this, folks. God doesn't need to make a big splash to work. And I think it's human nature, not necessarily a good part of human nature, but I guess it's human nature for us to all want to know about the big splash. And in our experience, those have been few and far between. Our experience has been just what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. That the gospel is the power of God to healing. The gospel is the power of God to healing. Folks, I want to put, put two scriptures together for you this evening. I want you to turn with me over to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if he ask anything according to his will, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if or since we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, here's this word call for or require, put a demand on the name of Jesus. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. One other scripture I want you to see. Is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. John said that we have confidence if we know the will of God. Well, confidence is faith. John said if we know we're asking according to the will of God, and folks, it cannot be any more clear than the Bible is about healing being the will of God always. Now, there's a lot of people out there that aren't willing to see it. But for anybody that's honest and can read, You cannot deny that it's the will of God for healing in every case. Jesus never found somebody that the modern day church talks about. They talk about them like there's supposed to be a lot of them that are sick because God's trying to teach them something. Jesus never found one of those people. He never had to pray before he ministered healing. Because because sickness is a work of the devil and healing is always God's will. So Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, including the confidence that John spoke of, the confidence that comes from knowing that we're praying according to the will of God and knowing, therefore, that he hears and answers us. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, he said, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. I want you to notice the last part of that verse. He said the reward comes by not casting away your confidence. Now, folks, if we always got instant results to our prayers, there's nothing to hold fast to. There's nothing to worry about or uh, be concerned about casting away. There's no fight. There's no struggle. The fact that he identifies that we should not cast away our confidence means that our faith is going to be tested. Our faith that believes it receives when it prays is going to be tested by circumstance. It's going to be tested by thoughts that the devil brings to you that is not working. Again, I'll remind you of what Paul said. He said, truly the signs of an apostle were done among you in all patience. In all patience. Every time I say that verse, every time I, I think about that verse, it amazes me that Paul attaches patience to the signs of an apostle. It's an amazing thing. 
it causes me to understand that God works the same way with all of us. That there's nobody, including Jesus, that was so full of the anointing or full of the power of the Holy Ghost that he could just do what he wanted to do indiscriminately without faith being exercised on the part of the recipient. And that's proven to us by the fact that Jesus couldn't do any mighty work, any healings or miracles in in, uh, his hometown of Nazareth. Even though he was anointed to do it, it still takes faith on the part of the receiver. And there was none. He tried to correct that by going about the village's teaching because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if he can get the people to, to be taught, to listen to the truth of the word, he can get them to have faith for healing. Now, here's another question before I finish that thought. I'll come back to it. Here's another question. When Jesus said that he was daily in the temple in Jerusalem teaching, of course, we understand that that was just in the times that he was in Jerusalem. He spent a lot of his three years of ministry in other places, outlying areas in the uh, region of Galilee and so forth throughout Judea. But when Jesus talks about the fact that he's teaching daily in the temple during the times that he's in town, what's he teaching? What's he teaching and why? Well, we have to assume that he's teaching the same thing in Jerusalem that he'd be teaching in other places, in the synagogues and other places. We have to assume that he'd be t- he would be teaching similar things to what he taught in his own house where the Pharisees and the doctors of the law were crowded in and the Bible says the, pr- the power of the Lord was present to heal them. He's got to be talking enough about the power of God to heal to provide faith for the hearers to be able to receive their healing, doesn't he? Otherwise, what's the point? So when Jesus is teaching daily in the temple, when he's teaching weekly in the synagogues, when he's teaching anywhere and everywhere he goes, what's he teaching? He's got to be teaching about what the will of God is for them. In Nazareth, he came out and said, I'm the one that's anointed to bring it to you. I would think it odd if he didn't teach that same thing in other places. Those scriptures would still be as true in other towns as they were in Nazareth. Must have had something to do with what he taught in Capernaum that resulted in the healing works that he did there, the miracles that Nazareth had heard about. So my, my point is simply this. It doesn't matter how long something's been. It doesn't matter what hold sickness has taken. It doesn't matter how long it's taken hold. Cast not away your confidence, your confidence that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. Cast not away your confidence because there's a great reward to holding fast. A great reward to holding fast. Earlier in this chapter, Paul says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. It's impossible for God's word to fail. It's impossible for God's healing power to fail if we do what the Bible tells us to do, to hold fast the profession of our faith and cast not away our confidence. I can see Paul doing that same thing when he's writing to the Corinthians, saying it took a lot of patience, but you've seen signs and wonders and mighty deeds. It's taken a long time. Maybe may, may not be as many miracles and signs and healings as we would want, 
but you've seen God do the work. Folks, we can say that same thing in our congregation too. We've seen God over the years do some marvelous things. All because we trusted his word. And God never changes. The same God that brought about those results, some more spectacular than others, but to the person that was looking for and receiving their healing, I'm sure their situation was just as important as the big ones. We've seen God do that time and time and time again. Time and time and time again. Now, you may come to these healing school services and not need healing. That's fine. Because you're being taught and your faith is being built up so that you can stay well. And, folks, I've got to tell you, divine, healing is better, divine health is better than healing every day of the week. You know the difference between those two, don't you? Healing is when we receive the power of God through faith, faith in his word and faith in what Jesus has done to restore our bodies to health. Divine health just means sickness and disease takes no hold on you. And get what you need from God, whatever it is, but divine health is always better. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done. We ask your forgiveness, Father, because sometimes we get impatient. Sometimes we let our flesh take hold and steer us in the wrong direction. Sometimes we've complained about why do things take so long or why is this happening or why isn't that happening. But, Father, none of that is true. What's true is your word. What's true is that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. What's true is that your word and faith in your word will change any and every circumstance in our flesh. James even said that if we learn to control our tongue, we could control the whole body. So, Father, we bless you. We magnify you. We bless you with all of our soul because you forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our diseases. You redeem our lives from destruction. You crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. You satisfy our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. We thank you, Father, that because we set our love upon you, you deliver us. Because we've known your name, you set us on high. When we call upon you, you answer us. You're with us in trouble. You honor us. You deliver us. With long life, you satisfy us, Father. And show us your salvation. We have faith in you. We have faith. In what your word says. And what we know your will is. Father we thank you for taking the burden off our shoulders. Lifting the burden off our shoulders. And taking the yoke off our necks. And according to your word the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Thank you father that we have the power of God resident within us. And working in our lives and in our bodies. Thank you that the anointing is breaking the yoke of sickness over each and every one of our people in this church. And everyone under the sound of our voices. In Jesus name. We bless you Father. We magnify you. We believe we receive our healing. And we'll never go back on that. The word of faith has been spoken. And we'll never go back on it Father. No matter what the circumstance appears to be, 
no matter the length of time involved, no matter the symptoms, we believe you. We believe that you sent your word and healed us. We believe that the good news of what Jesus did for us is the power of God to heal and deliver and to save. We believe that we're healed by the prayer of faith and that you, Lord, are raising us up. This is what we believe, Father. This is what we declare. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We serve a good God. We serve a God that can't be pushed. I think we've all probably tried to do that a time or two. But we serve the God who's provided everything that we need for our physical bodies and for every area of our lives. Healing is ours. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we love you so much. We thank you that your word is true. Therefore, we thank you that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Sickness, we call you gone. Bodies, we call you healed. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his healing mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.